Hi, and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, and we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. I was just thinking that if anybody had asked us at the beginning of the year, would we be doing a podcast series, I'd be like, are you serious? Even though we enjoy listening to them all the time, I would never have thought that we would be in this position that we are right now. And so it might be good just to tell people a little bit of, well, how did we get here then? And so, Stephen, yeah, yeah. how did this happen? <laughs> You're right. I would never have guessed that we would be doing it. And in fact, when it was first suggested, the person who suggested it to me, I thought they were just mocking me because I'm always going on about my my favorite podcast. And and so, well, why don't you do your own? Yeah, uh, he, he said to me. And I thought, one, that I, I wasn't sure that I had anything to say. Mm. But as I was, was thinking about it, I was, I was thinking that actually there were there are lots of people that I've spoken with over the years who I think do have something to say, who, who are really yes. wrestling with what church is and should be and could be. And I, I thought, well, perhaps I can give a space to those voices. Mm, uh, that, absolutely. That brings some diversity uh, into the conversation. It's not just a bunch of pastors sitting around talking about it. One of the things I've reflected on is ever since I was involved in church leadership when I was 19 for the first time, there's been talk about the church needing to change. Yes. Well, that's 22 years ago now, and I don't see the changes that we've been talking about are needed in, yes. in those 20 years. And so it's easy to talk about something and, and not actually do it. And I, I wonder if people like me who are pastors, who we know what's comfortable, mm. we know often what, or at least we think we know what people want. And yes. so we, we are maintaining something that is, is familiar and comfortable. And yes. I want to get out of my comfort zone. I want to follow the spirit into wherever the spirit is leading the church. I was reading or listening to Willie James Jennings, an African-American <laughs> theologian. And he talks yes. about some dynamics in, in the book of Acts. And one of them being, it's a dynamic of a God made known through Jesus, but now a God restless in the world through the spirit, speaking through the followers of Jesus, guiding them and directing them into new ways that they were not prepared for. And I'm not sure we're prepared for where the Spirit is leading for leading us. And so no. we need to get prepared. We need to, yes. to get on board with what the Spirit is doing. And that's what I hope this podcast series is going to do, is help us to imagine what changes are ahead of us as a church and how we can become more of the beloved community that Jesus is calling us to be. And also, I think, give us the courage, because it really does take courage to step into the unknown. And I don't think we can do that by ourselves. No. And so if we have a few more of us, maybe we can then borrow courage off each other and begin to take those first steps. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how you came in as well then. Yeah, you know, I was going, oh, Flip, I don't know if I want to do this on, on my own. So we were chatting away, and, and I think it was Sean, your husband, who kind of said, hey, well. What about you? So what, what brings you here, Kathy? I probably need to give you a little bit of the background just leading up to that conversation yeah. in your lounge. And so last year during the Auckland lockdown, while the rest of the country had a bit more freedom, I really needed to create some rhythms that would ground me. And so every morning I would go for a walk and I would listen to a different podcast, hearing the voices of woman theologians and philosophers and authors. And what struck me is that they were speaking my language. 
And they were asking the same questions that I have been asking for a very long time. And I felt seen. And I felt like these people got me and that I belonged to them, even though I didn't know them. And my community very lovingly laughed at me during this time because I started to refer to them as my friends. And I would uh, use their first names and I would say things like, well, Kate says, and Kate being Kate Bowler, who as a professor at Duke Divinity, you know, really had to rethink so much of her theology when she got cancer in her 30s. And so hearing these voices, it's a very powerful feeling of belonging. And so I felt that if this is what I was feeling and thinking and feeling encouraged to hear my thoughts being reflected back to me, I wondered, there must be other New Zealanders feeling this too, who need to hear this, who are sitting in their church feeling odd because they're asking questions that no one else is asking, or they've left the church because it's too hard to be odd on your own. It totally is. Because and you are if you, odd. Yeah, I am a little bit odd. That's true. Because if you think you're the only one, and then that's a really isolating place to be. Yeah. So my husband said to me, we need to hear some New Zealand voices and reflect our own context. But Stephen, I needed a bit of a push. And so we're sitting in your lounge and you were talking about starting your own podcast series and you were writing the bio that you would give to whoever the guests would be. And then you and Sean start laughing. And I'm wondering what's going on here. And so then you hand the the laptop to Sean who hands it to me and he says, read this. And so I read who is going to be the new co-host. And I went, it's me. I mean, what? And so, you know, I was a little bit flawed and a bit freaked out, but sometimes we need a push and sometimes we need to do things outside of our comfort zone. And this is uncomfortable because we've never done this before, but it also is really energizing to be able to not only have a voice ourselves, but to provide a space for other voices. So Stephen, here we are. Here we At are. At the beginning. So we thought this first episode of the Change of the Head podcast would be good to introduce, obviously, a little bit of that story, but also mm. some of the things that are important to us that would frame our answers if we were being asked, you know, what are the changes ahead? So what are those things that have framed you mm. that you, you do want to give voice to? Over the years that I've been involved in different forms of church ministry, uh, I've noticed that when disagreements happen, we have been pretty useless to be honest at mm. actually engaging properly with each other yeah it's it's we disagree and all of a sudden we've got these camps and you know, you're in one or the other and the other person or the other group of people they become the enemy or they yes. become the people who are are now not a part of the the orthodox group and that is no way to have discussions that is no way to have disagreements if we actually want to maintain relationship and so as I started thinking about what I would do if I was in a pastoral position where I was able to to lead in a particular way. I wanted to explore, I want to explore how we sit well with each other's differences. Mm. I want to be able to explore that. I want to be able to celebrate it, even when it's hard. Yes. Because there's yes. times where it's it's really hard to go, actually, I fundamentally disagree with you on that point. And still see that other person as a human being that is loved just as much as I am by God, yes. 
uh, and has just as much of a place in the community yes. as I do, that's really hard work. But boy, we need to be able to do it. Because yes. otherwise, we in the church are just, you know, we're doing what everyone else is doing in this, our increasingly polarized world where you've got liberal versus conservative or um, labor versus national, whatever it is. And it's actually, we need to learn to sit with, and I've been challenged by my a group of people here at this church. It's more than just sitting with each other's differences. It's celebrating them. Mm. And do you know what I've, as I've sat and, and read and listened to different voices that I hadn't before, even in the times that it's uncomfortable or it's pushing my buttons, that's where I grow the most. Yes. That's where I feel I'm being stretched. I'm realizing the areas in my life where I have blinkers on. And it means that I can grow because I'm not just in a group of people that think the same as me. And that's, for me, I, I think that is a, a vital part of, of what the church needs to look like going forwards. So we can offer something different than just the, the in and out or the the, mm. the, the orthodox and the, the heretics or, or whatever it might be. So that's that's one of the things I'd really love to, yeah. to be a part of the change in. And it sounds too then as a place where we're less fearful. Yes. Because I think fear drives so much yeah. of this, this, this division. Mm. And when we can begin to understand, like you said, I think we begin to expand a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, Kathy, as we explore this, could you tell us a little bit about what has shaped you to bring you to the position that you're in right now? To be able to do that, I would have to um, tell you three stories that I could tell you about the 10 years of youth work, or I could tell you about the overlapping years of studying um, theology while parenting young kids. And then I could tell you about the 20 years of leading a Sunday at Four community. But I can't do justice to all of that today. So I do want to reflect on maybe the 10 years of youth work and how that shaped our early thinking. And there are quite a few things that stood out for me and maybe four things in particular. I'll name them briefly and then we can kind of come back to them. But the place of curiosity and questions that nothing is taboo intergenerational relationships and the way that we gather informs us and shapes us and so young people you know they're naturally curious and ask lots of questions and they teach us as much as we teach them and so this stance and way of being is very central to us and it helps to keep us teachable and open to other perspectives and giving them spaces, safe spaces to be able to question was really important because they often found themselves being deeply challenged when they went to university. And so for us, we wanted to create this space again, like I said, that it was, was safe. And I would say now that I've come to believe that faith in its very nature is not about certainty of belief. It is about holding the tension of knowing and unknowing. And I think that feels like a much more generous space to hang out in. I love that phrase, the tension of knowing and unknowing, because it really, it, it invites disagreement, right? Mm. It invites, well, hold on, I see it this way. Oh, okay, why do you see it that way? And then it kind of pushes against the illusion of certainty that I think the church can present. Yes. If we think we've got God understood. Yes. You know, we are fooling ourselves. Yes. God is never going to be understood in entirety because if if we can do that then god is a god we are god and so i, I think the place of giving space to people mm. all people but yeah you're talking about young people in that context to ask the questions to feel okay with going actually i don't know yes uh, that's that's an incredibly 
generous place to be. And it also provides a space for greater imagination. Yes. And we can't have that if we think that we've got it all already, that all that there is to know has already been worked out. Because if we've got it all worked out, then all of a sudden when we come up against something that doesn't fit, then that mm. does become to do, which is what you want one of your other points. Right? And that's it. You know, one of the things I loved about Sean with doing youth work is that he wasn't shocked by anything. We didn't want to add shame to what our youth were already experiencing and feeling because they were learning through making mistakes. And it's such a strong value for us because this is what we saw reflected in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus didn't shame people who were already deeply vulnerable. And it also shaped our parenting. And so we have a very strong family motto that nothing is taboo. There are no taboo subjects. And so that created a space where we could, yeah, really talk about some very interesting things. I imagine that probably there was some, a lot of awkward laughter and, and yep, you know, yep, yep. Like, oh, and, and how do I talk about this thing with, yeah. With my and, and my daughter would say, are we really talking about that? <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah. yeah. And when I think about taboo topics or, or topics that can be considered taboo, that makes me think of shame. Mm. Uh, and that makes me think that if, if a topic is, is taboo or perceived to be taboo, then there is some sort of shameful thing about that topic. Yeah. To really deal with feelings of shame, I had to learn, and I'm still learning, what it's like to choose to be vulnerable mm. and choose to both accept someone else's vulnerability without judging yeah. and also without judging myself yeah, when I'm vulnerable or, or, or experiencing those feelings. And this idea of vulnerability makes me think of a story way, way back when I was, I think, 18. And there was a person who was a bit older and he let me kind of see his his family life. And it was it was awesome. Like he had wonderful kids and fantastic partner in marriage. And, and, and yet there was this really difficult struggle for them as a family with mental health. And I remember really significantly being at their house and experiencing a situation where one of the partners was saying to the other, just some horrible things, not because they actually meant them, but just because of where they were at with their mental health. And this wasn't hidden from me. We didn't pretend like it was okay. And we didn't pretend like it wasn't difficult. And this person then allowed me as a, as a late teen to ask questions about mm. that, about stuff that actually was really uncomfortable, would have been really uncomfortable to talk about because it was so personal. Mm. And, and this is someone who was leading me in, in, in church. And I saw this vulnerability and it was the first time probably that I had seen that. And it deeply, deeply shaped the way again that I, I, I see pastoral ministry, but, and, and actually just being a follower of Jesus mm. because it's not about having it all together or pretending mm. we have it all together. But if we can engage with each other's joys and sorrows and the tough stuff and, and the stuff that there's no answers to without judgment, without kind of lumping shame on each other, mm. I wonder what kind of community yeah. that would create. I want to be a part of that. Oh, absolutely. And, and Stephen, you can't sit with somebody else's vulnerability until you've done it yourself. No. Otherwise, it is just too confronting. Yes. And, and, and way too uncomfortable because if we can't accept ourselves, then we're feeling shame. Yes. And so to listen to someone else's, we, we will have to shut it down. And I think, unfortunately, that's what we do. Mm. And so why it's so important about having these conversations and creating language that enables us 
to embrace our imperfectness and that we bring our whole selves into this journey of life. And so, yeah, this is kind of the language that we want to keep talking about and the voices we want to keep hearing. It kind of leads me on to another really quite foundational shaping of how we want to do life now and how we want to do our church life is, you know, this intergenerational relationships that we learned doing youth work for 10 years. And so we were reflecting on how much we separate out the ages from the children, the intermediate, and then high school. And I think that we do this just as much in our culture as we do in the church. And I know that there's really good reasons why we do this. But I think what it does is it teaches our children and our youth that they can do church a certain way. And then we basically say to them, when you become an adult, now you can come back and join us and do church our way. And we miss out on all these amazing intergenerational connections. And so adding to that, when Sean was traveling overseas and he was seeing a lot of village life in other parts of the world and how they raise their children, we kind of came back with this phrase of it takes a village to raise a child. And that's become our mantra. And it means as a community, we are deeply invested in our Sunday at four children. And I love that they call us uncle and auntie. And just recently, one of our younger girls who's age seven wanted to have a Encanto party, watching this Disney movie with themed food. And she wanted to invite not just the kids, she wanted to invite all the adults. And those who were able to took time off work so that we could go. And we went because our kids matter to us and we wanted them to experience that in a very tangible way. And that's a part of your community life mm. that's being led by the child or the children. Yeah, yeah which is amazing. And it's, it's, it's something that they are interested in. It's, it's a lens that they are looking at the world through, not to mention it's a great film. Uh, it's an incredible film. Gosh, there's so much deep meaning there. Yeah. I think what's really important about this intergenerational way of gathering together is that whatever happens, it doesn't mean that it guarantees that our kids are going to grow up and follow our faith. And in fact, a number of them haven't. Mm. But what it has meant is that we've been able to stay relationally connected. And that is huge for us. And it means that they know we'll still be there for them when they need us. And I think the other thing is we have been to an incredible amount of 21sts and their friends would keep saying to them, how come there's so many adults here? Mm. And I just think that's cool. Yeah. We're, we're modeling something different. We're modeling that we need each other. And as I said at the beginning, there is so much richness to be gained from intergenerational connections. It's not actually comfortable either. It's uh, pretty messy. Yes. But that's another conversation. Yeah. So tell me, Stephen, I know that there's been a lot of highs and lows in your own life, but how has that shaped you sitting in some of those really difficult low spots of your life? I love that word messy that you kind of mentioned or you teased us with just, just <laughs> then. Because if I think about vulnerability, which I was just talking about, that it is, it is messy. Mm. Uh, it, it is, it's, it's acknowledging that life hasn't gone the way that we hoped it would. Yeah. And the gift for me of having people sit in a space in in some of the worst of my spaces yes has been incredible it's been life-changing in fact Mm -hmm. it's it's one of those subjective god moments that that I can't put down to anything other than god 
that helps me to continue to believe when I struggle to believe. Uh, mm. Because I've, I've had people, like I say, in those darkest moments, sit without an answer, mm-hmm. without words to make themselves feel better. Yeah. Or, and just being willing to be there with me and see me for, for what was going mm. on. Yeah, there's, there's one story of that, that I, I remember someone just holding my hand. And again, not saying anything, just, just, so it wasn't just, I'm, I'm in the same room. I'm actually physically with you. Yes. We often talk about being embodied. Yeah. And, and sometimes faith can feel a bit disembodied. Well, that was faith in its deepest embodiment for me. And I, I think that that is a, it's, it's been a gift that I've experienced on a number of occasions. And I think that that is a gift that we have as followers of Jesus, mm. that we can give each other, mm. but also can give our world, which which desperately needs to be able to acknowledge the tough stuff. As I'm listening, it's just the powerfulness of that felt um, presence. Yes. And that's what I'm hearing. And I think that we think that the words are the powerful thing. Yeah. And there are times and places for the words that reflect what we're feeling. But that just powerful sitting with. Yes. Which takes, I think, and your your point about the words as well. I mean, it, it means that that faith is shaped by those experiences mm. rather than shaped by some some doctrines written down mm. you know, anywhere from 200 years ago to thousands of years ago. And it's that deep connection mm. that you experience in that in that sitting. Mm. And I think that's what we're all longing for. Yeah. We're longing for that deeper connection. Yeah. So I wonder how that would form those kinds of experiences could mm. form the way we gather. It kind of brings me to that sort of one other crucial experience that has shaped us. And so when we had our youth sitting in circles and facing each other, it changed the way that they interacted with each other. Mm. And it meant that what was happening between them was just as important as the person leading the discussion. And so we began to think a lot about that. And when I went to study at Kerry and at St. John's, a lot of these ideas developed a lot more fully. And I began to think a lot more about how space informs us. And so just one way of space informing us is how we meet in our homes. When we're sitting around facing each other, people know what to do. Mm. It's familiar. And they feel more naturally at ease to chat and have conversations. And so that's why we start with coffee and cake. And so anybody new coming in can fit in straight away. They are at ease because they understand how this first bit works. And so creating these safe spaces where people can do what is familiar and the chatting allows for that deeper connection that we're talking about. And the more at ease we feel, then I think we can start to create the spaces to create safety. Mm. And in that, to be able to then create the conversations that encourage belonging. So that aspect of meeting in our homes is a very familiar way and puts people at ease. It strikes me that you've inverted what you would call a more traditional church service, right? We don't have our our cup of coffee or, or yeah. whatever it is until the end. And so the intimacy that that yeah. creates... And then you, you're led into your, and then your we're led in. place of, of worship and engagement with maybe the idea of the day or, or the, the scriptures. And that has to impact 
your experience of the, yeah. the worship time. Well, because you bring your whole self into it. And so if you're doing this on a regular basis, this is informing you about what's important and what's informing people is our relationships with each other matter. I think Jesus had some words about, yeah, the way we treat one another, right? Yeah. So what are you hoping for from the guests that we are going to talk to over the next little while? With this as the framework, what are you looking forward to? Just what we're saying. We want to give space. We want to give space for imagination, for for curiosity, and for us not to feel so threatened that we can hold diversity but still be able to keep having these conversations about ways that it could look. I'm hoping that the guests that we speak to are going to provoke us a bit. I want my thoughts to be challenged. I want mm. to hear voices that are not just my peers as a pastor in the yeah in a church. I do like what you're saying, Stephen, about it's encouraging to hear voices that are saying the same things as us, and I think we need that. But I also think it's good to have voices that push back. Yes. And I've got someone really close to me at the moment pushing back. Mm. And while it's uncomfortable, mm. it is actually making me pause and go, huh, is this the only way I could think about this? Mm. And that is actually a really good place to be in. And it then helps me see things that I just didn't see before because it's so easy to just do the default. Yes. And to think that my way of seeing is the only way. And so while it's, again, holding the tension. Yeah. And I think that if we can practice holding the tension more, well, what I'm hoping is we'll get better at it mm. and that it will feel less threatening and that it will create a lot more expansive conversations with people. Mm. I think that's what I'm longing for. So we don't really know where we're going to end up through this podcast series, but we're just going to trust the process and who knows where the spirit will lead us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Changes Ahead podcast. If that resonated with you, we'd love to hear from you. So get in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Changes Aheadcast or Twitter at Ahead Changes. See you next time.